Bibles will be in uh, Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. And while you're getting over to Exodus chapter 5, I kind of want to recap where we were last week and how we get from last week to where we are this morning. Uh, Last week, we talked about Moses and Moses' calling. Moses, at this burning bush, uh, comes into contact with God. And God calls him to be the one to go to Egypt and deliver his people out of the hands of the Egyptians. He tells him, I've called you to do this. You're the one who's going to uh, fulfill this task. And so... Uh, sending you to go. And Moses does what so many of us do when God calls us to do something. We question it, right? Like we ask all the questions as to why God is calling us. Uh, Moses does this. He starts out by saying, who am I? Who am I? I I don't have any authority. I don't have any uh, thing that makes me special enough to go before Pharaoh. Who, Who am I? that you would call me to do this. And we ask the same thing, right? Like, who am I? According to the world, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm not a superstar athlete. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a Nobel Peace Prize winner. I'm not a, the smartest man in the world. Like, who am I to, to go? And he says, I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to tell you what to say. All you have to do is go and say what I tell you to say. And then Moses says, well, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? Uh, what if they don't believe my words? What, what, what then? And God says, I'm going to give you miracles to show that it is I who have sent you. And we say the same thing, right? Like, what if they don't believe me? What if my coworkers, what if my classmates, what if I tell them and they just don't believe me? What, what do I do then? And then Moses asks the question, or not asks a question, he makes a statement I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. And um, God says, I'll open your mouth. I'll give you the words to speak. And of course, we do the same things, right? Like, I'm not really qualified to be somebody who, sure, I'm not the smartest. I'm not the best speaker. I don't have the most education. I don't have this or that or this or that. And we come up with all these excuses to say why we're not qualified. And then Moses does just simply blurt out, Send someone else. Send someone else. Surely there is somebody else, there's anybody else, anyone more qualified than me. Just please don't send me. Send somebody else. And God could have just been like, all right, I'm done with you. But, you know, we see God is angry, of course. He keeps questioning this calling. But he says, I'm going to give you Aaron. Aaron will speak for you. You will do the miraculous work, or I will do it through you. He will speak, you will be like God to him, you'll be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be the one who communicates for you. And really, what he's saying is, you have no excuse. And really, what God says to us is, you have no excuse. There's no excuse that you could possibly come up with to not do what I've called you to do, because I've given you everything you need to do what it is I've called you to do. And so, we see him go. He goes and while he, or he asks for permission from Jethro to go to Egypt and he comes in contact with Aaron and Aaron meets him and you know, gives him a kiss and celebrates with him. And then 
you know, Moses and Aaron go before the elders of the Israelites, just as God told them to. And he does everything that God told them to do. And the people believe. They see these signs, these miraculous things, and they believe. And they believe that God is concerned about them and that he has seen their misery. And they bow down and they worship. And Moses is thinking, yes, all right. I was kind of worried that they weren't going to believe me. And look, they, they believed me. So, all right, things are good. And now... Moses is going to say, all right, I'm ready to go. And they're going to go in there. They're going to get the people out. Things are going to go smoothly and wonderfully. And there's not going to be any problems whatsoever. Pharaoh's just going to say, okay, absolutely. Take the people and go. No, if only it were that simple. You know, the great philosopher Theodore Geisel, or as we know him as Dr. Seuss, once said that when something bad happens, you have three choices. You can either let it define you, let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you. And now I wonder what Moses is thinking. Things were good. Things were good. The people believed things are great, things are wonderful. And then here comes a difficult situation. Moses has challenges from two different sides. He faces a difficult moment. And we see a lot of how people handle a difficult situation in this text. And the difficult situation that we're going to look at this morning has to do with what do we do when the enemy tries to stand against us? And when he tries to use people to stand against us, what will we do? How will we face that difficult situation? Let it define us? Let it destroy us? Or will we do what we should do? And find strength in God. And so we're going to start in Exodus chapter 5, in verses 1 through 5. And this is where we start. It says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with the plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. And so Moses goes and he does exactly what God has called him to do, to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go so that we can go out into the wilderness for three days and we can offer sacrifices. He told him uh, this in Exodus 3, that this is what he wanted him to do. And so he goes and he says, let my people go so we can do this. And Pharaoh responds by asking, who in the world is the Lord that... I should do this, that I should hear, that I should listen to him and let these people go. He didn't know who this Lord was. He didn't know the name of this Lord, and therefore he's not going to let them go. There's some pride on display here by Pharaoh. The Lord has no authority over me in his eyes, and so I'm not going to let them go. And they respond to Pharaoh by asking or telling him, hey, the God of the Hebrews has appeared to us and spoken to us. And if we choose not to listen to him, then God could strike down my people for not listening. So you have to let us go. 
The message here is really a simple one. God is not to be disrespected. We, he asked us to do this. We need to do what he has told us to do. We need to go. And of course, Pharaoh isn't going to listen to this. He challenges them and asks, why are you keeping them from their labor? You realize what you're doing is the more that you're doing this, the more you're distracting them and keeping them from doing what they're supposed to be doing. You see, the last Pharaoh, he failed to fix the numerous Hebrews problem. And now this Pharaoh sees them as commodities to be used. These aren't people. These are means to complete task for them. And so Pharaoh says no. And then we see in our text that Pharaoh has a plan. Verses 6 through 9, it says, That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they may keep working and pay no attention to the lies. So here is Pharaoh's plan. You're going to work harder You're going to work much harder. He says, I want you to tell them that now, from now on, they have to go and they have to pick their own straw and then come back and make their bricks. But they have to continue to make the same number of bricks that they have already been making. Up to this point, they haven't had to pick their straw for making bricks. The Egyptians would go and pick the straw and provide it to the people. They didn't have to, or they really didn't have to do that, but they chose to do that so that they would hit their number. But now that is gone. You have to go and pick your own straw so that you can continue to do this. You may be wondering, why, why do they need straw for making bricks? Well, the thing is, weather could be harsh in Egypt, and so buildings needed strong bricks. And mixing straw with the clay allowed the clay to bind together and help the bricks to dry evenly, making better and stronger bricks. And so you have to go pick your straw, come back, make the bricks. You have to make the exact same amount of bricks that you were already making now with this extra work. Why is he Pharaoh doing this? It just seems like Pharaoh shooting himself in the foot. Why in the world are you going to make people get behind because of what you're asking them to do? Well, in Pharaoh's mind, the people were just lazy. The people were lazy. They weren't working hard enough. They weren't doing what they should be doing. And here's the thing. He thought that if you have free time or time to ponder, then what are they going to think about? They're going to think about their freedom. When they have time to relax, when they have time to think about their, what could be, they're going to think about their freedom. Take away free time and that will cease to exist. If you make them work nonstop, if you put them in a stressful position, if they're having to work all day and then they come home and they're exhausted and they fall asleep, there's no time to think about freedom. This is what Pharaoh's mindset was. Take away the free time. And I I get it. When we have free time, right? Sometimes we let our minds wander and we ponder things. Pharaoh's saying, you're lazy. And if we take away this free time, this time for you to think, then that idea of freedom will go away. And so this is his plan. Make them work harder. Pharaoh, by doing this, is driving a wedge between the Israelites and their would-be deliverer. And so 
in verses 10 through 19, we see what happens next. It says, Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. And so the slave drivers, they go out and they tell the message to the people, you're going to go and pick your own straw. You're going to work harder than you have been because now not only are you going to go pick your own straw, but you're also going to continue to make the same amount of bricks that you have already been making without dropping your quota. So not only do they face an increased workload here, the Hebrew foremen, the leaders of the Hebrews who were put in charge, are now being beat because they are behind on their work. Things are going from bad to worse for this people. And so they decide to seek an audience with Pharaoh. And they want to know what's going on here. Three times in verses 15 and 16, they mention how they are Pharaoh's servants. They're loyal servants. They're doing everything that he has asked of them. We're doing this. We're, we're doing everything you ask, and yet you are treating us horribly. And they mention that this is really your doing. If you would continue to give us straw, this wouldn't be an issue. But no, you're going to keep doing this, and you're the reason why we're behind. And Pharaoh's response, Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, you don't have to make as many bricks. No. Again, you're being lazy. That's why you want to go offer sacrifices. You're being lazy. And so, no, you're not allowed to go. You will have to continue to pick your own straw, and you must continue to work. And the people here in verse 19, it says, they realized they were in trouble. At this point, they realized, man, there is nothing we can do. We have no hope. We have no, you know, nothing is going to change. Things are just going to get worse. In their eyes, they're thinking, we're going to continue to face suffering. People are going to die under the weight of all the work that they have to do. And there was nothing, can, nothing to be done about this. Nothing was going to change for them. Things all of a sudden have gone from bad to worse. And then we see in verses 20 through 21, it says, When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, it doesn't tell us why Moses and Aaron are waiting for the foreman to return, but man, I bet they're wishing they would have been anywhere else but where they were the moment that the foreman returned because the foreman returned and they are not happy. They are livid. They're angry at the situation. They're frustrated how things have gone from bad to worse. And we see they respond 
to Moses and Aaron, they called on God to judge them. They say that you've made this obnoxious to him. Other translations use use the word stench. You have made us a stench before Pharaoh. These words have this idea of being scorned or condemned by Pharaoh. You have made us scorned or condemned by the, the ruler of Egypt. The person in charge no longer likes us. He, doesn't, he scorns us. He condemns us. And they say that all you've done is you've put a sword in the hand of Pharaoh to kill us. The work effort is going to be so much. It's going to be such a burden that people are going to die from all of the work that has to be done. All of the suffering that is going to come with this. And this is a reversal from what we see earlier. Moses said, God might punish us if you don't let us go. But now to the Israelites, they're thinking, even if he didn't, we're still going to die. There's no good that has come from any of this. You're worried about God striking down his people. Pharaoh's going to strike us down on his own. We don't have to worry about that. They're facing such intense suffering. And Moses Man, just a minute ago, it seemed like things were great, and now he's facing some tough times. And it's in this that we find a, a tough truth. Opposition will come when we serve God. It's a, it's a truth. We try to ignore it. We try to pretend that it's not so. But opposition will come when we serve God. And, and just look at what Moses and Aaron are facing here. For starters, they're facing opposition from the outside. Pharaoh is making the life of God's people so difficult, he refuses to listen. God means absolutely nothing to him. And he is making the job for the people so much harder. He is making the suffering more intense. And Moses is facing this opposition from going before him and saying, hey, God said let his people go. And now things have gone from bad to worse for his people And here's the thing, we face opposition from the outside today as well. It's true, we live in a world where sin of every kind is so present in our life. And to stand against that means that there are going to be those who don't want to give that up. Sin is so enticing, it's got its grip on people. And to say, hey, you need to listen to the word and you need to give this up, it's going to make people angry. They're going to refuse to listen. They'll label you. They'll insult you. You see, Scripture has told us that this will happen. It has happened. It will happen again. Jeremiah 6.10 To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. 2 Timothy 4.3-4 It says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. John 15, 18 through 22, Jesus gives us the warning flat out. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. There are going to be those, when you try to stand for the truth, who will pose what you have to say. We see this from the outside world. But did you catch the other kind? In this text, did you catch the other type of opposition? The outside world will try to oppose us when we speak the truth. But the sad thing is, there's also such a thing as opposition from the inside. And I get it. I understand the feelings that these foremen are feeling. Things have gone from bad to worse. We're being punished. We are suffering. And it's easy in this situation for them to say, curse you all. But here's the thing. They had just seen the miracles and believed. And now look at where they're at. Curse you, Moses. Curse you, Aaron. All you've done is made our life more difficult, made it even harder than it was. And think about it from Moses' point of view as well. He's told to lead these people out of Egypt to do what God has asked him to do. And now he's, ref- or he's facing the resentment and bitterness that his people are feeling. And they're putting all of that on him. And this isn't going to be the only time either. They're going to complain and they're going to do it a lot. Read through Exodus and you see it over and over again. You should have left us in Egypt. We had it better in Egypt. It would have been better to die in Egypt. Over and over and over again, Moses and Aaron will bear the weight of why did you allow this to happen? They will experience God's power and will continue to complain. The sad truth is, and we want to pretend like it's not true, we want to ignore it, but it is true, sometimes the opposition we will face will not come from the world, but from those around us who wear the name Christian. It's true. Think about who Jesus had one of the biggest issues with. It was the religious leaders. Think about the apostles and who did they have some of the most difficult situations with? The religious leaders. And I think sometimes this opposition manifests itself in a couple of different ways. You see, I think there's a difference between being accountable and helping others see the errors of their way through Scripture and grace And there's a difference between that and tearing others down. And too often in the church, we tear each other down. Instead, we need to look to examples in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Romans 14.19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Proverbs 27, 17, it's familiar. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, I'm just going to say it, and this is hard for me to admit and hard for me to say. If you would have asked me just a few years ago, do you ever see yourself standing at the pulpit? If you ever see yourself being on staff at a church again, I would have told you absolutely not. I would have told you absolutely not. I didn't want to do ministry anymore. That's why I went back to school and worked on my master's degree in business. That's why I was working in retail. There was a point in my life I never, ever wanted to step back into ministry. And I wish I could say, I don't even wish I could say, I, I, I could say that it was the world that was causing this, but it wasn't. 
It was my experience with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ that led me to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be where I'm at. I'm thankful for so much encouragement that has come from people here that has got me to a point where I am today. That and the Holy Spirit's leading, saying, don't be too quick to make a decision for yourself. But there was a point in my life when I was so frustrated and so bitter with people inside the church that I said, I don't want to do this anymore. But you know what? That's why I've learned the importance of we need to build one another up. And you might hear me say it, and you may think, Bobby, you sound like a broken record sometime. I say thank you a lot. I say thank you a lot. I, if, you, if you volunteer, if you serve, you will hear me say it over and over and over and over again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you do. Kathy hears it from me all the time. Every time she texts me, I'm like, hey, thank you for what you do in the kitchen. Thank you for your service. I say it all the time, thank you, thank you, thank you, and it's because I know the importance of what it means to, first of all, I mean it, every word I say, but two, I've learned the importance of why you build others up instead of tearing others down. And I also think there's another part to this opposition, I call it camo faith. And you might be thinking, what does that mean, camo faith? Well, I think it's this idea that I am a Christian, but I want to blend in with the world. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do whatever I feel like I should be able to do. I don't want to offend. I don't want to make people mad. And so I don't want to draw any opposition. I don't want to draw attention or step on toes. I just want to blend in. And so they try to talk you out of doing what God has called you to do. Do you really have to do that? You might make people mad. You might upset people. You might offend people. Do you have to do that? Sad truth is, many churches are becoming this way, trying to protect their image and doing so, accept and embrace sins of many kinds. And maybe you've heard it before. I know I've heard it before uh, when I was working in retail. Hey, I'm a Christian too. I believe in Jesus just as you do, but do you really have to talk about him here at work? I believe in Jesus too. Do you really have to speak about this here? Can you just do it on your own time out of here? I don't really, I just don't want any issues to come from it. And so here's what I would ask. First of all, remember that you are not part of the world. You are part of the light. So live as a child of the light. And if you are in this position where you maybe have this camo faith, remember what Ephesians 5.8 says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the lights. You shouldn't look like the world. You should be light in this world. You should live as children of the lights. But I just want us to be aware because I think it is true. Opposition is going to come when we serve God. There's no way around it. And so now let's pick back up to Moses. In chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says this, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Talk about a gut punch from Moses. Things are good. 
Things were great. He was on the spiritual high. His people believed and everything was going well. And think about it. We've been there before, right? We're on a spiritual high. And the next thing you know, something comes and it knocks the wind out of your cells. It's a gut punch. And here now we find Moses standing before God, asking of him, what is going on? You said that you were going to use me to bring your people out, and now things have gone from bad to worse. The people are suffering, and you have done nothing. You've done nothing. You haven't freed your people. They're still there, and things have gotten worse. I think Moses might have forgotten that God told him this was exactly what was going to happen to him. In Exodus 3, he tells him, Pharaoh's not going to let your people go. It's going to require something big to get him to let the people go. But here he must have forgotten because he says, what's going on? What is happening here? And so God responds in verses 1 through 8 in chapter 6. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by by my name, the name of the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty act of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, that you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you out to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. What a great response from God here. First, he reminds him that, guess what? Now Pharaoh is going to see the full might of God. He's going to see how powerful, how strong I am. Because of my mighty hand, he is going to let them go. It says he's going to drive them out of the country because of my mighty hand. And then he reminds them of who he is. I'm the father of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh, the eternal, the self-existent, consistent God. That is who he is. That is his name, Yahweh. And this is what he's meaning when he says that he has not appeared to these patriarchs fully. They haven't seen the power of who he is yet. He hasn't used this name before. Now he's using it. He is Yahweh. And he has promised that they would receive the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he will fulfill this promise. He's heard their groaning. He's seen their misery. And he has not forgotten his covenant. When God makes a promise, he keeps it, and he hasn't forgotten what he has promised. And so God gives Moses some instructions, and he wants him to tell the people this. Tell the Israelites this. And we see the words, I will, used several times in verses 6 through 8, and they tie into some promises that God is going to make. He says, he will bring them out of Egypt. 
I will bring them out of Egypt. I will redeem you. I will free you. You will not stay where you are. There is something better on the other side of this. I will bring you out. And then he says, he will be their God and they will be his people. What a promise. I will be your God. I will be your Lord and I will be your Yahweh. That is who I am. And you will be my people. And then he promises him, I will give you this land that has been promised to you. He's going to do mighty works. He's going to drive the people out. And Pharaoh is going to see the hand of God at work. And so Moses goes and he tells the people in verse 9. says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. He goes and he does what he's told to. But the power that Pharaoh has over them is so strong, so powerful, it seems so unshakable, and it seems so tough that they've forgotten already. They've forgotten already when they worshipped him because they were knowing, or they knew that he was concerned about them. This power from Pharaoh has become so unshakable in their lives that they will not listen. But I think there's a thing here that we can learn from Moses in this situation, and chapter 6. I think it's this. Opposition will come, but we need to trust God. We've already talked about the fact that opposition will come, but in those moments when opposition comes, we need to trust God. And this is a struggle for Moses, isn't it? Chapter 3, chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 7, over and over and over again, God gives Moses instructions and His promises, and over and over again, Moses says, but, but... And think about it from Moses' point of view. The weight of the opposition he's facing is proving to weigh a ton. And he cannot get it off of his back. And instead of trusting, he's getting more and more frustrated. And I think we can relate because as much as we don't want to admit it, if we're honest in the face of opposition, we start to say, God, you said... God, you said that you would have my back. God, you said that you were going to make things easy. God, you said that this is what you were going to do. And the truth is, serving Him sometimes means we run into opposition. Paul says it clearly too in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12-13. through 13. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while, evil, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so, knowing this, we have two choices. We can choose to, A, get angry or frustrated with God because this is not what I signed up for, or, two, B, we can choose to say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Even when it seems like things aren't going according to my plan, that it seems like things aren't going according to what I thought this would go, or how this would go, I'm choosing to trust you. Joshua 1.9, it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Jeremiah 17.7-8 tells us this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. 
Are we trusting Him? Are we leaning on Him when opposition comes? I love this quote from St. Francis de Sales, who says it like this. He says, Do not be anxious about what may happen tomorrow. The same everlasting Father who cares for you today will take care of you tomorrow and every day. Either He will shield you from suffering or He will give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace then. Put aside all anxious thoughts and imaginations. You know, I wish serving the Lord meant that everybody would hear and everybody would believe and there would be no issues, there would be no struggles, there would be no, I don't agree with this or I don't believe in this, there would be no persecution, there would be no martyrdom for preaching the truth. I wish that I could tell you everybody would hear and believe and everything would be great. But what I can tell you this morning is this, we serve a big God who we should trust in everything, in every every circumstance, every situation. almost said circumstitution, mixing the two. We need to trust in Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. And as they come up, maybe you're here and you've never put your trust in Him. Maybe you've never put your faith in Him. Maybe you've never believed Well, guess what? There's no better day to do that than today. Hebrews 11.6, it reminds us, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody who comes to Him must believe that He exists. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in him you've never put your trust in him there's no better time than today give your life to him if you never have and the connect cards around you you can write that down I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about it or you can come talk to me this morning I'd love to talk with you or maybe you're here and you face some opposition maybe the, the world has been coming at you for your faith maybe it's people inside I hope not but I hope Maybe it's people from the inside. And maybe what you need to do this morning is you need to take that before God and you need to trust Him. And so maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to spend some time with Him, laying all those things at His feet. Right where you're sitting, you can pray. You can come up here and pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. But this morning we can trust God in all things because we know that He is big, He is powerful, He is Yahweh. And when opposition comes, we can turn to Him. So if you have a decision to make this morning, I pray that you do so as we stand and we sing.